The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you have your copies of God's Word and would like to turn with me, do so, if you would, to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Just a couple of words about Thanksgiving, historically and biblically, then you will have an opportunity to share from your heart that which God has moved you to give thanks for, even on this night together. Psalm 69. What a great and glorious uh, passage of Scripture. Let me read it for you, if I could. Uh, I'll tell you what, let me do it this way before I read it. We have, this is kind of an interesting thing. I've mentioned this to you before. There's probably many reasons why I so enjoy Thanksgiving um, holiday. I enjoy it for a lot of reasons. One is... It's always been very dear to my family when I was growing up, so it was just common for our family to be together. They'd probably um, uh, move any obstacle possible for us to get together on Thanksgiving Day uh, as a family. That would be both my mother's side and my father's side. And then, uh, so I had that great history of it, and then after my dad and mom went to be with the Lord, uh, me and my three sisters did the same thing. Uh, we would do everything we could, travel as far as we could, or as many obstacles and scheduling um, um, alterations we could to be together. Of course, um, in this day and time, I'm not able to do that. I've got one sister who is battling ovarian cancer and another uh, sister who is with the Lord. And uh, so we're not able to do that like we used to. Uh, but now it's kind of come down to my family, and uh, and we used to participate in everyone, but now we participate and uh, have it within ourselves, and, and we get together and enjoy it. What we always did, now I'm not trying to tell you how to do it, you have your own family traditions, but what we always did is we would always get together, we would uh, have a, a great meal. And my sisters would always find a way to make sure that there was no way in all of humanity that that food could be eaten that day, even by 30-something people sitting around that table. That was just absolutely impossible. Uh, But we would enjoy the meal. Uh, We would enjoy um, uh, uh, so many things about that day. But one of those things that we enjoyed was after the meal, where we would share the stories with each other. And then we would read the scriptures for Thanksgiving. And then everyone had the opportunity as we went around the table. And it would take a long time because we had a big family. And there weren't any time limits, that is official time limits. 
And, uh, but it was just so wonderful to hear the things that people would say in thanksgiving to the Lord and then from the Lord to give thanks of encouragement to each other, even as we gave thanks to the Lord. And I always noticed that there were a number of things that were able to be done at that time. Thanksgiving Day got a number of, um, a number of objectives accomplished. And those objectives are pretty much enumerated in this text that I wanted to read for you and just make a few remarks as to why I think such a meal of thanksgiving and encouragement with such a profile, reading of scripture, sharing the stories, personal contact, and then a time to give thanks. What does it accomplish? Well, many things, but let me ask you to turn to this that is declared in Psalm 69. And if you would, go to verse 29. But I am afflicted and in pain. Now, that could cover physical pain, emotional pain. That could cover spiritual pain. But I am afflicted and I am in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. So I have been brought low in pain and affliction. That could be physically and that could be spiritually. It could have the consequences of emotional pain and affliction, relational pain and affliction. All of those things could be encompassed in that statement. And what is what the psalmist then asked for is for the salvation of the Lord, a salvation that would deliver them and set them as victors, set them on high, the pedestal of victory. But they know they can't get there on their own. Only the Lord can give them that victory. And when the Lord gives victory, then by his hand of grace, he sets us on high. Well, when that salvation comes, what will you do? I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble See it, they will be glad. You who seek God, your hearts will revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. So here he says that he is in great need of salvation. So he calls out to the Lord. And salvation arrives from the hand of the Lord. And when salvation arrives from the hand of the Lord, he then sets about to do two things in response. Now listen, when salvation comes from the Lord by his grace in our life, we have multiple responses. This by no means encompasses all the responses that God's people have When they're saved, there are many responses that are not enumerated here, but he does enumerate two. 
He says, here are two things that happen when people are saved by the grace of God. Number one, they will worship. That's what they will do. They will worship. Number two, they will bear witness. They will bear witness to the Lord. He has saved them. They will bear witness to one another. They will bear witness to the needy. They will bear witness to those who are seeking and needing salvation themselves. So you can kind of think of it. The Lord's kind of got this already allowed us to alliterate it, hasn't he? Worship, witness. Horizontal, I mean the vertical, worship. The horizontal, bear witness. But then he goes further. How will I worship? And he says, first of all, he says two things about his worship. Again, this is not exhaustive of the worship of the redeemed. But if you've ever heard this phrase from the Bible, I used to hear it every Thanksgiving from my pastor at a service like this. He would always say, now is the time. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do not be silent. Don't be embarrassed to be silent. Don't be silent in shame. Don't be silent because of self-congratulation. But if you've been redeemed, you were redeemed by the Lord. Now say so. How do you say so? You say so, first of all, with worship. That is done with praise songs, hymns and psalms and songs of praise. Notice what he says. What will he do? I will praise. See verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. Then he says, I will lift up worship and praise to God with a song. Then what will he do? I will also Magnify him with thanksgiving. Now, first of all, please notice the worship is not the saved centered. It's not centered on the saved. It's the saved bringing worship to God. I will sing of the name of God. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I will sing praise And I will say thanksgiving. I will sing praise to his name. I will say with thanksgiving. I will say his glory when I give him thanks. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Now, you're not making him something that he's not. Magnify something is to to take who and what something is and extol it before others. Make sure they see that alone. Brothers and sisters, I want to let you in on something that maybe you already sense. I pray, I lead, I preach, first of all, with humility on the Lord's Day and my part of a worship service on morning and evening, because I know I am not capable of doing what God's called me to do. But I also do it with a certain amount of confidence because of what I preached last week. I know the Lord speaks through worship and his preaching, whenever his word goes forth in confession, reading, singing, hearing, preaching, 
I know he speaks to his people. So God takes over for this fool through the foolishness of preaching to speak to people. The second thing you need to know is this. I pray that the what you hear in worship and what you experience in worship will drive so deeply into your heart that the world will not be able for the next six days to persuade you that life is about you. I pray and ask God that this worship service will be so God-centered, God-magnifying, God-exalting, that when you leave, because I know what's going to happen even before you get home, Satan is going to come back and say, it's all about you. And a whole system in this world is designed to do that. And you've got an old man within you that wants to believe that. But I pray that God will so embed what you have heard and experienced in the gathering of God's people in the morning and evening sacrifices of praise that when you walk into that next week, increasingly, Monday is secured for the Lord in your life. Then Tuesday, then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then I know... If that if you are battling for Jesus all six days, you will can't wait to get back on the Lord's day because I need to praise him and get mag- see his magnification again. That's what worship I pray will do for his glory in your life. But I know two things are helpful beyond preaching. One is the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that are about the Lord. Now, folks, I hopefully you know, I don't think any musical instrument's evil. I'm willing to try to use all of them to the glory of God. I hope you know that I don't think any note is evil. I'm ready to use all of them to the glory of God. I mean, I was so interested in my wife's preparation along with uh, Miss Elizabeth and Miss Cindy Helms this morning. And that arrangement that Ken did for them. How do you arrange this? How do you arrange that? I, I heard, I've heard that song we just sang with uh, Hunter. And Hunter did a few little things to that that you may not have noted. Because why? Notes are not uh, moral or immoral. They're amoral. It's how do you use them? Instruments the same. But here's what I do know. Content is either 16 ounces to the pound biblical truth that we're singing, or it's adulterated. And I love that which is new that lifts up praise to God as much as I love that which is old. But let me tell you the key to why I want you to know the old stuff. If you don't mind, I'm using my wife as an illustration because she's not here, and I can get away with it at least for 40 minutes. We, she picked that song, she and Cindy and Elizabeth, along with John and Ken. Jesus, keep me near the cross. In the cross. In the cross. Be my glory ever. And I said to my wife, 
I know it's reflective and you picked it for that reason for communion, but why that one? There are a lot of reflective hymns. She said, honey, do you know I've talked to so many people that have never heard this great hymn. And she says, maybe today, as they're concentrating on the Lord, they can hear it today because of its depth and breadth and width and height of truth. You see, the older stuff that's still around is around because it's about God and it's done well. Now, I'm not arguing for just learning the hymns, although I will argue to learn the hymns. Because I love that which is new that's about God, just like the one you just heard. But the point is, it's songs of praise to God. It's God-centered. Who God is, what God does. Who God is and what God does is our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. And joined to it are to be statements and declarations of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's a dead giveaway. Now, I'm going to say something. You're going to think uh, this is just another discouraged pastor. No, this is really a pastor that thinks through this. A little bit on this one. Folks, I believe that a service that's designed for Thanksgiving should not be able to hold the people that would come. I really do believe that. Thanksgiving is the evidence you know you've been saved by grace. Thanksgiving is the evidence you know that what you are, you are by the grace of God. Thanksgiving is the evidence to know, is to be able to say, I can't believe what God has done for me and entrusted to me. And Thanksgiving is, I can't wait for others to hear it. I want to tell it to the hurting. I want to tell it to my brothers and sisters. I want to say it to the Lord. And I want to say it to those who need to hear it. They need to hear Thanksgiving. In light of what they're facing. So you give thanksgiving with songs of, you worship with songs of praise and you worship with thanksgiving. Now what is the result? He gives three results. Result number one is you magnify the Lord. When you sing praise and give thanks, you magnify the Lord. Now that is if you're giving thanks to the Lord. Now if you're giving thanks to thanks, that doesn't work. I mean, Thanksgiving is not Turkey Day. Thanksgiving is not football day. Thanksgiving is give thanks to the Lord. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. We're giving thanks to the Lord. I heard one guy start off a Thanksgiving statement on television one day. He was an athlete. And they said, well, what do you want to do about Thanksgiving? Well, I just want to thank my lucky stars. What in the world are lucky stars besides a cereal? We give thanks to the Lord, person to person. God, thank you. You made me. You've sustained me. You've been with me. You've never forsaken me. Your son has saved me. Your spirit indwells me. You've made me a holy of holies. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
You have granted me the privilege to be an ambassador for Christ. You magnify the name of the Lord. Secondly, you encourage your brothers and sisters. Notice what he says. He says this. I will sing praise to the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Now, remember, they're still in the time of offerings. So the offerings were appropriately to be given. God had commanded them, and they had not been done away with yet because the sacrifice of Christ has not come. But what he's saying is this. As much as you being faithful to bring the offerings, the sacrificial offerings to worship, as, as important as that was in the Old Covenant, it doesn't compare when God's people raise their voice in praise and when God's people give thanks to him. It doesn't compare. It magnifies him. It pleases him. And then not only does it do that, here's what he says. When the humble see it, they will be glad. When God's people hear and see your thanksgiving, it emboldens them. It encourages them. It gladdens them. It brings joy to them. To hear your thanksgiving to the Lord. That's true in your family. That's true in the family of God. And and then thirdly, not only do you magnify and give pleasure to the Lord, but you and you not only do you encourage your brothers and sisters, but number three, you're bearing saving witness to the lost. See what he says? For the Lord, here's what he says. He says, when the humble see it, they will be glad. But what about those whom God's moving to bring to himself? You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. So he not only encourages his people, but those who are seeking When they hear the thanksgiving of God's people and the worship of God's people magnifying the Lord, then they are drawn to the Lord. We have a country that has valued thanksgiving. I love it because this is a distinctly Christian holiday and it originated formally in America, but it didn't start in America. Calvin used to call for days of thanksgiving in Geneva. Bootser used to call for days of thanksgiving in Strasbourg during the Reformation. Zwingli would call for days of thanksgiving in Zurich. Knox would call for days of thanksgiving throughout Scotland. Even kings would call for days of thanksgiving, such as Edward VI. So it's not new. But here... It hasn't only been done, it's been enshrined. Now, not every president has affirmed it. Thomas Thomas Jefferson vigorously opposed a Thanksgiving holiday. He opposed it when Washington did it. He opposed it when John Adams did it. And he opposed it when James Madison did it. So he opposed it. And there are other presidents that have opposed it. But our founding father and president did not oppose it. Here is how he initiated it. On October the 3rd, 
writing from Mount Vernon, having been sought out by the elected officials, the elected officials of the Senate and the elected officials of the Congress, not long after we had left the inadequate Articles of Confederation, and now we're embracing the blessing of a Constitution, not long after a tax rebellion had been squashed. Here is what he says. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of the Almighty God, the duty of all nations to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording to the, us as a people an opportunity peaceably to establish now a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that ever will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country, even previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war for our independence, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish now constitution of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national blessing of God that now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberties which we are now blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge and in general for all the great and various favors with which he has been pleased to confer upon us, and also that we may then unite together in humbly offering our prayers and supplication to the great Lord and the ruler of all nations, and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations." especially those who have shown kindness unto us, and to bless them with good government, peace, and concord as nations, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of knowledge among them 
and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity that only he knows how to give and what is best. Given under my hand in the city of New York, the third day of October, in the year of our Lord, 1789. That set in motion what we will enjoy this week. It was initiated by the practice of God's people. And it was furthered into the fabric of our nation by the diligence of God's people. May it be so. May we, his people, give thanks and magnify his name forever. Before my sister went home to be with the Lord, there was one that sat at our table, my mother's sister, at Thanksgiving. And that was the only time that we knew of every year she would hear about Jesus. So I'll have to confess, I would load my Thanksgiving up with the gospel every time. And so would my sisters, as we would do that. It was after that Thanksgiving, not many months, that my sister followed up with my mother's sister. She prayed to receive Christ just three days before she ceased to live here. And then my sister, in less than three weeks, would be with the Lord. But it was at a Thanksgiving table, giving thanks, that the gospel was planted and another one was brought to magnify the Lord. Give thanks. Magnify the Lord. Encourage his people. And bear witness to the lost. Jesus saves by grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together. Would you bless us as we now bless your holy name. We give thanks to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205 776 5200.